No one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. Hello and welcome to episode number two of My Mate Went on Holiday to North Korea, the podcast. My name's Dave Smith. So no preamble needed, really, let's get straight into it. This episode is called Hotel Pyongyang. We left off with Luke trying to get into a taxi unsuccessfully and he takes up the story when he arrives at their accommodation. So you get to your hotel. I think, uh, tell me a bit first about the hotel because this hotel is, is deliberately on an island, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Yes, the hotel is on an island in the middle of the river Tumen that goes through Pyongyang. And that means that there's only, there's only one way off the island, or, or two ways off, which are bridges at either end. And I, 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 that, I think, makes it a bit more convenient for them to make sure that, that you're not going wandering off into the, into the city. But actually, you can't even get out of the hotel car park because there are minders standing at the entrance to the hotel who won't let you go beyond, well, even halfway through the car park. They weren't letting you go any further than that. Uh, which is a shame because there was an abandoned stadium on the island, which I would have loved to go and see. Uh, some kind of game stadium that was that looked to be in disrepair. And what was it like? Because I imagine that they're, they're on the one hand trying very hard to prove that they're, you know... Um, advanced and will have internet and all the kind of modern things and yet I can't help but imagine that it's you know that feeling when something's a near miss like I went away for a weekend recently on a on a I won't name and shame the place but I went on a Welcher thing and it was one of those ones where it was nice and it was fine but it just needed a lick of paint and the mm. whole thing was kind of I kind of get that in, impression with it that it's um, yeah it's trying to it's trying to show the world that it's high tech and yet were there bits that fell short as far as you were concerned? Yes, yeah, so the, the hotel was, you stand outside, it, it looks, it's uh, I think 60 stories or something, 60 or 50 stories, and it's got this revolving restaurant at the top, and, and it's the kind of place that you would imagine that in the 50s or 60s would have been the height of modernity. It was like something out of James Bond or something, something really luxurious, but has never been updated since then. And so you, you go into the lobby and it's, there's high ceilings and marble everywhere and, and the place does look very grand. Um, and, you know, it's a nice enough place. You know, you're not going to... Uh, it didn't feel like... It didn't feel extremely shabby or anything. It felt like, it felt like you know, something... It felt like a reasonably luxurious place, as I say, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, you know, the, but there are little things, you know, as soon as you scratch below the surface, you start to see how old it is or how it, it doesn't quite conform to the image of uh, modernity that the regime necessarily want to put across. Because, Sometimes. well, the lighting, for example, it's, it's, you know, you've got this kind of, the, the light bulbs are clearly very old. They're not the the LED, you know, efficient ones and, and, you know, giving you bright daylight that you would expect in any hotel in in most hotel, nice hotels in China or in, in uh, the US or the UK or wherever. Um, the, the lifts move very slowly. Um, there's just that the decor, the, the carpets look very old and you know, the wallpaper in the rooms and the... Um, did you um, go up to the restaurant at the top? I did go up to the, the restaurant, oh, the revolving does, restaurant. It does revolve, it it does does revolve very slowly, yes. <laughs> yes, we were the only people in there, yes. Uh -huh. What was the food like? 
the food the food throughout North Korea was was pretty basic. I think they 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 were making a big effort for us, but it was. I think there were certain, there were you know don't forget luxury ingredients or luxury goods are are not allowed to be imported in North Korea, so they have to be pretty self sufficient, and they can get some basics in from China, I think. But sanctions prevent them having having really nice stuff. In the in the lifts in the hotel, there were funny little videos with funky lift music, which show people cooking. And try to give this impression that you can taste all four corners of the earth in the local restaurants, and they're full of happy North Korean chefs cooking away, making what look like gourmet meals. Um, we did, you know, we weren't close to starving in the hotel, to put it that way. But it was, it was fairly basic stuff. You know, we, it, breakfast would be, um, you know, you could get cucumbers and tomatoes and bits of onion and things like that. And they had some pancakes there, which you could, you know, spread some jam on. And they would make you, there was a chef there who would make you omelette uh, or scrambled egg or something like that for you. Um, and they had some, what seemed to be some kind of deep fried chicken that you could have as well. And um, maybe some bits of fish as well. But um, but it was it was kind of pretty, fla- pretty plain, pretty basic. Um, it, it was very different to what I had at some places in China, you know, in a nice hotel in China or something that claimed to be as grand, you would get a really, really nice breakfast, a really, really nice meal there. And, and this this wasn't that. But this was about as good as it got, I would say, in North Korea. You told me that when like, you, you ducked out into the stairwell and despite being on the untinted floor, there was only kind of three or so floors with people in it. Yes, I was on the 39th floor, I think. And... Uh, I, that somebody had left a door open for the emergency exit, so I had a quick look in there and looked up, and it was just black blackness. Uh, completely, all the floors were unlit, and then about five of the floors below me were lit up, but beyond that, it was completely black. Until you know, if you got the right angle, you could just about see the ground floor uh, lights all the way down there. But it seemed that the the hotel was largely empty, which would make sense because when we were in the hotel bar, when we were playing pool, um, when we were playing table tennis in the basement, all that kind of stuff. We did see other people, but, you know, very, very few other people, really. And, you know, at breakfast, there were, you know, I, I, there can't have been more than 100 people in that hotel, put it that way. You, know, you obviously, obviously, you're thinking about this change as the time <laughs> went on there, but just, you know, sticking your head out the fire exit when you know you're not really supposed to, you just feel terrified. No, I... I it's funny thinking about it beforehand it's not the kind of thing i would have done um even though it sounds really normal for us because of our idea of the idea in our mind that we have of north korea is that everywhere you go kim jong-un's there with his finger on the red button ready to nuke seoul or something and or or, or lock you up and actually you know when you're there it's the usual thing in life that more than anything else most people are, are, are kind of bored with you they're not interested they're busy getting on with their own life and things are pretty chaotic and disorganized and you know it's, it's the same in any part of the world that you go to it's easy not to be noticed um, as long as you're not causing trouble for anyone so you know this this door was open I just had a quick look into the emergency exit up and down you know it was something I felt I could justify if anybody stopped me uh, I, I certainly I wasn't walking up and down the emergency exit stairs so nobody would be able to make that accusation I was just being curious really. and yet there is a line though because this is the same hotel that this chap who Canadian chap German chap uh, he was American American yeah. which might have had something to do with it presumably but stole a 
banner, was it? It was a, it was a some sort of poster that was on the wall in the hotel basement, I believe. That's right. Yes, an American student named Otto. Uh, he was, I think, nineteen years old when this happened, nineteen or twenty-one, and he went to a part of the hotel that he wasn't supposed to, a staff-only area, and stole a banner of some kind that related to the Workers' Party. That's my understanding anyway, and this was a story that was verified to me by the, the Western tour guides that uh, were from the, 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 the tour it company. It was the same tour with. company in the same hotel? It was the same tour company, yes, yes. And uh, so that had happened uh, at, the, at the hotel, yes. So imagine what happens in those situations is, if you take your taxi story as an example, the people who discover that probably think, oh, God, first and foremost... Like, do I have to deal with this or not? Would be my would be my kind of feeling if I was a minder. Because if we're going to make a big deal out of this, it's going to be a massive thing, and I'm going to have to do all this work, and I have to justify it to the people above me. And 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 in the case of Otto, I imagine he's now, I mean, he's now a pawn in the international relations yeah. game, isn't he? Because he pushed it kind of too far. Whereas with your one, I imagine they just thought, oh God, you know what? We can't be bothered with the hassle that. Yeah. So I I was willing to push the boundaries to find out more to pursue my curiosity. And, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit reckless or something, but certainly, you know, I, I, you know, what I did was relatively minor stuff. And I, I'm not, I'm saying, you know, most people I think on the group were willing to conform a lot more and were going to keep their heads down and, and shut up. But for me, that's not part of the experience, you know, for, for, for me, I want to be able to think, I want to be able to ask questions and do stuff. And 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 I I tried to find out where the boundaries would be beforehand by speaking to the tour company. And actually, I was told, look, it's very hard to get arrested here. Actually, there were there were things that are crimes in North Korea which would not be any kind of a crime in in the U.S. or the U.K. Um, but you just need to be you know aware of what those things might be. Um, other than that, and and that you know, but things like you know things like stealing a a, a banner. Um, and anything to do with the party, anything that insults the workers' party in some way, or more importantly, insults the leadership in any way, or, or tries to be rude towards them, or you know, defaces anything. Because there was a moment, stuff. wasn't there, where one of your tour folk, and we'll get onto them in a second, who they were and what they were like, but she, I believe, yeah. she remarked foolishly, "Why is Kim Jong Un so fat when his people are so hungry?" Yes, so. There was a lady in the tour group uh, from the UK who, and I didn't hear this, I hasten to add, this was retold to me by someone else in the group, but she apparently uh, said, at a less than a whispering voice, in front of one of the statues of the leaders, oh, you know, he's the, 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 the leader Kim Il-sung or, or Kim Jong-il, Jong uh, they, they seem to be so overweight, or they seem to be pretty well fed, but their people seemed so thin and she'd said she'd she'd said this and one of the guides in our group had apparently overheard this and it said to one of the uh one of the guys in our group uh he said you know he'd said did she say that he was fat and thankfully the the the, the, the guy in our group that he was speaking to said oh no i think she said something else or you know it was misheard or something and so nothing happened to her. But it was a very silly thing to say. And I didn't say anything like that. <laughs> but again, I think that's an example <coughs> of perhaps everybody choosing for the sake of, you know, as a, as a mind that you can either go to the wall about that, can't you, and say, yes, you did yeah. say that, or you can just 
pretend that it's all fine. And, and I just find that interesting because yeah. I, I can see, because I think what's starting to emerge here, and I think we'll look at later on when we talk about your mind, is there's a picture of people who, you know, of course, have a day job to do effectively there and, mm. and, and perhaps aren't ideologues in the sense that they'll, you know, die in a ditch over every comment and, and pick you up on every single thing and have wider considerations about them. Yes, the guides I thought were really interesting. I mean, people say you can't speak to real North Koreans when you go to North Korea. That's not true because you can speak to the guides. And they are a a small subset of North Korean society, of course, a very privileged subset of North Korean society, but they're fascinating insights nonetheless. And my impression from speaking to the guides in general was that, you know, yeah, they were they were people just trying to do a job. Um, they, they, they were pretty friendly people. I think they were genuinely loyal to the leadership. You know, they, they had genuine admiration and loyalty towards their leadership, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. And, and one of the reasons that you shouldn't say anything insulting to the leadership is because it was something that was going to immediately upset them. Whether they believe all the propaganda about how great their country is and how they have nothing to envy in the world and how well-developed the country is and how the rest of the world is poor and oppressive and the United States are evil is another matter. Uh, and so there are, there are different strands to, 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 to the guides thinking there. I don't think, my impression was that they hadn't swallowed every bit of propaganda. They, they, they couldn't have done. Tell me a bit about the group, just because there were some interesting people, weren't there? there was, so there was a guy who was South Korean who lived in Canada and then there was an Israeli guy and then just give people an idea of some of the, some yeah. of the folk. Yeah, I have to be careful not to um, yes, give too much away to yeah. identify anyone. But um, yeah, there was, it was a mixed group, uh, mixed international group. There were people from the US. There were, uh, I think, four or five of us in total What's from the UK. I, I didn't know that American citizens were allowed in. Americans can go in. They have to fly in. They're not allowed to take the train. They have to get the plane. One of those many strange rules that are just totally ex- unexplained to you. and You've no idea why they exist. There were Canadians, there were, uh, there were several guys from Australia. I think there were five people from Australia. And, uh, and then a lot of Europeans as well. A Frenchman, uh, a guy from Serbia, one from Portugal. So it was a pretty international group. And did you, I mean, I was incredibly brave going by yourself, I thought, because you kind of, kind of feel, well, if there was two of you, then you know, you'd have someone to kind of fight your corner a bit if, if you had been misinterpreted saying one of the statues was fat or something. Do you know what I mean? You would have had someone who'd slightly... Did you build a rapport with others in the group or did you feel like they'd have your back if something happened? Because I imagine it very quickly becomes every man for himself if, if something goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, these are strangers, but you. This is one of the advantages of taking the train in is you can you know have a few beers with these people and you know you'll find out about each other's lives and you're all equally excited and and actually you're going through this very emotional experience, aren't you? And uh, this very vibrant experience together, and I think that actually uh, helps facilitate friendship in many ways. So yeah, you know, I felt like you know these were people I could get on with, and I've kept in touch with people you know on Facebook and that kind of thing after the trip. Uh, so so yeah, I felt like I was with a good bunch. Fairly familiar with the tour itinerary because it's a fairly standard kind of thing. Um, so give, perhaps give us, give us a quick whip through what that looked like and what you went to see, and then we'll get onto some of the stories of, of, of that you're telling. Yeah, sure. So itinerary that we spent the first day going around Pyongyang. We've taken to the, uh, the, the the statue, the monument to the Juche ideal, which is that kind of neo-Marxist philosophy out there, which 
which is... It's about self-reliance and... Yes. Well, it's, it's one of these non-philosophies, a bit like Ayn Rand. Uh, and you, you know, actual philosophers would never agree to it being a philosophy. It's not something you'd ever study in university, for example, uh, much as they'd like to portray it as that kind of thing. Um, we, went to, we went to the Central Library and uh, the Central Square and that kind of thing. Uh, so that was kind of the first date. You asked for a copy of George Orwell, I believe, in the library. I, 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 on the search engine in the Central Library, I, we, we were told we could search for any book in the world, you know, any book that we wanted. And uh, so I got, the, I got the guides to put the English language function on. I typed in Animal Farm. I got a whole load of books about farm animal management. <laughs> certainly nothing by George Orwell. No entries from 1984 either. And uh, I think I put in, I, I typed in the UK as well, and there were books about jewellery in the United Kingdom, jewellery making in the United Kingdom. And then I also, but I also typed in, because I thought, oh, maybe they just don't have many English language books or something. Uh, or, 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 or translations or, or books that any of us would have heard of. But I, ty- I did type in Das Kapital by Marx, and they had that, mm. many copies of Das Kapital, so it was okay. But we were told behind a white wall that there were a million books in storage that, that people could access, except we couldn't access them. You need, to, you need to know what you're looking for first, request a book, and then they go out the back and get it for yes. you. But you never actually get to see these supposed million books that exist in the Central Library. <laughs> and you tried to speak to someone in the English language section? Uh, that was actually in the science. Uh, oh. I wanted to say science museum. It's called the National Science and Technology Centre, and it's presented as a kind of science academy. and And they and it looks, or they want it to look like a cross between a a university science lab and a science museum for children, and a library where people go to surf the internet or do research. And some kind of lab as well for scientists. They want it to look. They they kind of got elements of all of these things within there, except it feels like a bit of a charade because the students there don't seem to be doing any studying. I mean, we we'd walk past these lines of computers and and they were, the 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 kids essentially they were watching boxing videos and anime cartoons and things and 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 quickly minimizing their browsers as we walked past. It's nice uh, that that's a universal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I recognised it straight away. I've got to say, um, so, so you, 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 you know, the kids doing that. The science kind of machine, the science museum elements of it were kind of simple little science experiments that you might show to children. I mean, it was hard to see how 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 this was necessarily. Uh, uh, you know, a great monument to North Korean science, put it that way. They don't have access to the internet there. It's actually only the intranet, which supposedly is 29 websites that are approved by the North Korean government. It's all internal stuff. And um, the, the most, you know, the, the part where people seem to be most active in the museum was the kids' section at the end, which was full of games, and uh, where we found a seven-year-old playing a, a game... Uh, that involved um, uh, throwing missiles at U.S. warships. Now, you know, I remember some people in our group remarked at the time, oh, well, it's just like uh, Call of Duty, right? You know, we've got video games here where you blow up all kinds of people and, you know, the fact that kids can access video games is not a thing. Well, yes, uh, you do have free access to that kind of thing in the West, but... I've never seen anything like that in a state-built science museum. You know, I've never seen I've never seen violent video games pushed by yeah. the government as yeah. such uh, in, in, into kids into kids' hands. There's a clear distinction there. Absolutely. 
Uh, and then and so you do all the stuff that everybody does. I presume you go to the main square, which you see, um, and you go on the subway, which is phenomenal. And I mean, that's a podcast in itself, the yes. subway. And, yes, and it is. Yeah. Uh, um, but what, I mean, the two that I really want to focus on within the itinerary, the first is the Demilitarized Zone, the DMZ, as it's called, because, I mean, Bill Clinton described that as the scariest place in the world. Is that a fair, a fair anal- analysis of it? or? No, I, I, I don't think... It didn't feel that scary to me somehow. Maybe because, you know, it was full of tourists. There were lots of other tour groups arriving on the same day. You know, there was a group from Hong Kong, and, and kind of everyone we kept bumping into at other points in Pyongyang seemed to congregate at the DMZ. It was clearly the day that everybody gets to go to the DMZ. And, uh, and everything, you know, seemed pretty routine there. They didn't see thousands and soldiers standing there ready to fire a bullet at people immediately. The place was very, very quiet and not really much going on there. And did you get to go in the hut which straddles the border? And Yes, there were a series of huts, some of which are owned by the UN and South Korea and some of which are owned by North Korea, and they're, they're colour-coded to reflect that. And halfway through these huts is the, is the line. And so you can, you go in, we, 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 um, we were told beforehand, if one of the South Korean huts is open, we'll go in. And this is apparently a perfectly allowed thing that they're, they're comfortable with. And so, and fortunately it was open. So we all went into this hut, crossed the line over to South Korea. The actual exit onto the South Korean side was guarded by a couple of North Korean soldiers. And, um, and yeah, we weren't in there very long really. And then we were ushered outwards. But I was very pleased to go to the DMZ because it was the one place in North Korea where you get mobile signal. Yeah, you text your mum, I remember, you telling me. <laughs> yes, she was delighted to receive that message. But I only found out once I'd left North Korea and was back in China, of course. But. I think it's a nice story. <laughs> it's, it seems so arbitrary. that So you say things like, well, you know, we'll turn up and if, and if one of the huts is open, we'll go in there. And yet other stuff, they will lose their shit about. You know, to me, that is more of a big deal than nicking a poster off a wall. Or, or you know, it just seems, the whole thing seems totally arbitrary in many ways. And with no, I imagine no explanation was very often forthcoming as to what was important and why. Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were told we were told in the in the DMZ, you know, no photos of the military, and you know, it's an important place and everything. But there was no safety briefing beforehand. There was no, we didn't sign any disclaimers or anything. Apparently, this is what happens to you when you visit the South Korean. Well, I've heard that from the south side, it's a wholly different. That's wholly right, and you can't. Apparently, on the south side, you can't take photographs as well. But on the north side, they had no problem with you taking photos. In fact, actually, the DMZ was the one place where we could photograph so- soldiers within the hut. Some of us got photographs of the soldiers in the hut, perfectly legitimate. You know, people were posing for selfies with them, and that was you couldn't do that anywhere outside of the TMZ. Ironically, you know, and other places, you know, somebody was photographed carrying a bale of hay in the countryside, and the guides got really angry about that and made people delete it off their cameras. So and this, it was a bit this sounds like a ridiculous question, but it's not, and it's just a continuation really of your taxi feeling. Do you not think to yourself like? What would happen if I just did a relative? What is in reality a relatively innocuous thing of walk five yards over there, but like across the line? I mean, presumably, you know, if you tried to make a run for it into South Korea, they pull you, they try and pull you back, and then there'd be gunfire, and then there'd be, or, or wouldn't there be? Or I don't, you know. Possibly. I mean, that's yeah, that's definitely not a risk I would take. No. That's something I would <laughs> test out. I mean, but but partly because you, who knows you might get shot by the South Korean side as much as the North Koreans yeah. but actually I didn't see a huge number of soldiers around of either side mm. 
there weren't a huge number of people kind of pointing their bayonets against each uh-huh. other. Uh-huh. The North Korean soldiers, some North Korean soldiers were doing a little drill and a little march around the area, but it was it was relatively tame. I mean, maybe all the action is in another part of the border because the DMZ is a you know very very long, very very large area, isn't it? You know, we were being taken to a specific part, the part where the armistice was signed. Um, and the part where there, there were these huts and where all the cooperation happens. But that part was rel- relatively controlled and silent. And then, the, I mean, the, the one which I just thought you were remarkably um, almost blasé about in your... I mean, you weren't, but how anyone does this, I do not know. The mausoleum to the, to the two, to Kim Il-sung and Kim mm. Jong-il, you know, what is that like, going to see the, the embalmed corpses... Of two of histories, without doubt, you know, ultimate tyrants. Yeah, I, th- um, I, th- I think this was the most bizarre part of the trip for me, actually. To see, I mean, I'd read about going to a mausoleum beforehand. I thought, wow, we're going to see embalmed bodies. But just the, the build-up to the whole thing, the solemn crowds outside, everybody dressed smartly, including so you had us. To, they told you, especially <coughs> that day, you had to dress particularly... Yes, they, they, essentially they just didn't want us in jeans and uh, or trainers. Um, so... You know, we just they just want to see that we we'd made an effort, and so you know I put on a jacket and um, I I look quite smart apparently <laughs> according to other people in the group but much smarter than them, um, so but it's it, yes it's a very solemn place it's you know silent everything is taken off you and you know not just your mobile phone and your wallet and things but the tissues in your pocket are taken off you, um, my my pocket square was taken out until. And, 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 and the man the man at the checkpoint, he kind of dabbed the pocket square on his eyes or in his eye as if to indicate that I might need it for crying purposes. And I nodded and then he gave it back to me. And so, so I got him with my pocket square. I was quite pleased with that. But then you go on this long, you walk down this corridor with images of the leaders either side meeting foreign dignitaries and, you know, these sort of quotations from them and lessons that they've given to workers and that kind of thing. And then the next thing you know, you're on this travelator, and it's this travelator to nowhere. You're on a travelator for a good ten minutes, just going up with nobody talking, you know, or only in hushed whispers, perhaps. There's music playing in the background, and and then you have to go through um, through an air tunnel to depurify you. I mean, it's just it's it's bizarre. And then the next thing you know, you're in this red lit room, which is freezing cold because they do it to preserve the body. And there's a glass case in the middle and, and Kim Il-sung's in there. And there he is, draped in the Korean Workers' Party flag. And there's soldiers standing around with guns in case anybody does something. And then you have to bow uh, on on his left side, his right side and behind his head. Not behind his... Uh, no, and behind in front of his feet. Not behind his head. Uh, that Because that apparently would be uh, a grave insult to the dear leader. The great leader, sorry. And uh, and then you're out, and then you do the whole thing again for Kim Jong Il, just when you thought it was all over. <laughs> you do the whole thing again, and the medal rooms. I, I didn't mention that, but at the end of each leader, after seeing them, you walk into this medal room with all the tributes that they've received from foreign dignitaries. Uh, not not the gifts, but the um, honorary degrees and um, you know uh, leadership medals and that kind of thing. And and it it just re- you know it's. It's a list of the world's tin pot dictators and bad guys basically awarding each other medals to legitimise themselves. And then there's a few, you know, there was actually, you know, a fair amount from, 
from Spain and Portugal in the times that they were dictators, for example, and then suddenly they all stop after the 1970s because they, they transferred to democracy. And then and, and then in the middle of all of it, and this is the thing, because I thought, I'm, I better not find anything from the UK in here. And, uh, and sure enough, there was nothing from the UK. And then in the middle of everything, I find a medal from Derby County Council. Derbyshire County Council, sorry, had, had given some kind of a ward of the city or a ward of the county to Kimmy so I have no wow. idea why. <laughs> it's completely random. Yeah, we really. have to look that one up and see. We, we do. I've, I've Googled it. And I can't find anything. I need to email the county council and find out what it was. But there's a, clearly a story behind that. Yeah, or it might not be real. Who knows? I mean, that's the thing. You're never quite sure. Some of these could be fakes, you know. And didn't at one point, because obviously, you know, I imagine if ever there's a point where you don't want to do something that's misinterpreted it's yeah. stood in front of the you know the cremated body of one of their leaders and didn't all hell break loose when someone sneezed oh yeah well, the, the, guy ne- the guy next to me Portuguese guy next to me sneezed the loudest sneeze you can possibly give <laughs> oh, right in the middle of it oh, God. And it was such a shock because the whole place had been silent apart from this you know patriotic music in the background and the soldier, the soldier in the room gave him the dirtiest <laughs> look. <laughs> we got out of there as soon as we did after that. <laughs> and so with that, we come to the end of the second episode of My Mate Went on Holiday to North Korea, the podcast. Thanks ever so much for listening. Do be sure to tune in next time to the third and final episode, which is called Waving Goodbye, which looks at all the important things around how you do a mad dash back towards the border, discusses potential reunification of the Korean Peninsula, and answers the very key question of whether or not A tea towel with the face of Martin Luther King on it has ever been used to wash up cups in North Korea. One more huzzah and we're out. My Mate Went on Holiday to North Korea was written and produced by Dave Smith. It's an E14 production.